Hello. Hey, John, what's up? Hi, Dan. Boy, we had a hard time getting on the phone with each other this morning, didn't we? Yeah, but you know what? Uh, we finally got it, got oh, it to happen. So That's glad. all that counts, is I'm that we, so we're here now. We're here t- together and with our, our, our internet friends all in yep. one place. As Baba Ram Das would say, we are here now. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, I'm watching that. I don't know if you watch um, much, by the way, TV these days, but I'm watching this thing on Netflix called Wild Wild Country. Have you heard about this? Um, no, but I'm guessing that it's about uh, Rajneeshpuram. That's right. That's right. How would you know? Well, you know, I was a Rajneeshophile. I, I had no idea. Which is not to say that I was into Rajneeshi. Okay. Okay. But only that when I first set out across America in 1986, the summer of 1986. Yes. Um, the, uh, the Rajneeshis had just recently been kicked out. Right. Of, uh, of Eastern Oregon and, and it, it, you know, it had been a big news story when I was in high school. And it was kind of, you know, that was an era where there were a lot of, like, Jonestown really set it off. Yes. And then there were, you know, the Moonies, and and you would still see um, Hare Krishnas in the airport everywhere you went. That was starting to die off, too. I and remember the, you know, Hare Krishnas from being a kid and traveling and going through a number of airports. But as I'm watching this whole documentary, I don't remember any of this going on. Like, I'm sure you did because it was right there, right? But for for was, me growing up in, in first Philadelphia and then uh, Florida, like, that was not on our radar very much. Well, it was, you know, it was in Oregon and I was in Alaska, but it was, you know, this is the That's like walkable of- distance for someone like you. <laughs> I mean, that's like, you got to pack a lunch, but it's not a huge way. I think it was on my radar because this was the kind of thing that's always been on my radar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Like, okay, this crazy guy out in the desert starts a new, like a new civilization. Right. And and he's got 40 Rolls Royces and everybody's wearing, everybody gives him all their money and they're all wearing robes. Like, yes, tell me more. <laughs> uh, so I followed it pretty closely and then followed the, followed the, uh, the fall apart, you know, the, the, the fallout from it. Although at the time, I don't think we knew the whole business about his, uh, you know, the, the woman that was running his office, like basically calling out assassination plots right, on all right, the right, local right. Oregon, like water use people. Yeah. Um, but as I was heading off across the country and, and in, in 86, I tried several different times. I landed in Seattle. I didn't have any money. And I was like, I'm going across America. I had this only vague idea about how how big America was. I had only a vague idea about you know because we, we we were Americans in Alaska, obviously, but you know we kind of got America just through the television. It, we were seeing this um, this foreign country in a way, and I didn't know how far it was from Washington to. Philadelphia like right. I had no no geographical sense at all in Alaska if you get on the train uh, the following morning you will wake up at the end of the train there there's just one the train just goes two places and and you can get to, you can go both directions to the end right uh, in the course of a day so that was about the distance that and you know and if you if your dad had a plane like mine did you could get in it and you could you know you cover some ground uh, but so I set off from Seattle a few different times. The first time I was, uh, I jumped on a freight train with my friend Kel and we got as far as Detroit Lakes, Minnesota before we realized that we were fools. <laughs> and Kel was like, I don't like this. This is really, <laughs> this is cold and, and like, um, lonely. I'm going to go to California because I've got an uncle there and he's going to give me a job or whatever. And I was like, oh, all right, well, fine. So we split up and I went to Yakima where my brother lived. And then I left Yakima on my own headed across the country on a 1981 CB650 that I'd bought for $500 from a guy. <laughs> and it was on that motorcycle that I drove past Rajneeshpuram. 
which was now like in receivership or whatever. Everybody had been chased out. Oh, right. Of there. It'd be, it, it was gone by then, I guess. Yeah. But it was still like throbbing there in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's not like, um, it's just cowboys out there, but it really, it really had this kind of profound gravity because it, you know, it felt connected to not just the culty stuff, but also you still sort of felt like, Oh, the Beatles at the ashram, like, that there was there was that mystical pull of it that felt like a, a little bit of that 60s sense that maybe that's where the wisdom is maybe the west is bankrupt and all the wisdom is is being um is just is just ready to be tapped all we have to do is like put a bindi between our eyes and and learn the right incantations you right know? right and so so the I think that was probably a part of his appeal and, and part of the appeal of the place to meet. We would like to say thank you to Casper. Casper is a sleep brand that continues to revolutionize its line of products to create an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience one night at a time. Casper products, they are cleverly designed to mimic human curves. They provide supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies, all kinds of shapes and sizes. And, you know, you spend a third of your life sleeping so you really should be comfortable. And this is what they do over at Casper. They work tirelessly to make a quality sleep service that cradles your natural geometry in all the right places. High quality mattresses. They get great reviews. Uh, and they have uh, an excellent selection. They have two other mattresses in addition to the original Casper, which is the one that I have. They also have one called the Wave uh, and one called the Essential. The Wave is a patent-pending premium support system that mirrors the natural shape of your body. The Essential has a streamlined design at a, an affordable price. So there's something for everybody here. And they cut out the middleman. They sell directly to us, the consumers. Hassle-free return if you're not completely satisfied. And that's 100 nights risk-free sleep on at trial. So you get this thing. You have 100 nights to decide, is this right for me? So... You, you can't go wrong, and there really isn't any risk. I have one. I really like this. I love the unboxing of this thing. It comes in this little little box. You open it up. It unfurls. It expands. It breathes itself awake, and, uh, and then you have this full, amazing mattress. It's super, super cool. And here's the deal. Our listeners are getting $50 off towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash roadwork. And using the promo code ROADWORK at checkout. And I have to tell you that terms and conditions apply, whatever that means. So again, 50 bucks towards select, select mattresses by going to casper.com slash ROADWORK and using the promo code ROADWORK. Thanks very much to Casper for supporting this show. So I, I still keep my eye out for Rajneeshi stuff. And um, a couple of couple of months ago when I was putting down uh, ideas for Omnibus with Ken Jennings. Mm-hmm. Oh, was this was on like, your on your list of things? Well, uh, immediately at the, on the initial list, I was like, Rajneeshpuram. <laughs> <clears throat> and then I'm not sure, you know, part of the problem of doing a show like that that has, that's, a, you know, has ideas Unlike a show like this, which has got huge ideas that no one else can even come close to. Of course, right. To, yeah. to, you know, it's not like we're going to overlap with 99% Invisible while you and I are sitting here talking about, like, about um, our metaphysical, like, Well, I mean, that was, I. this is kind of a behind-the-scenes thing, but, like, our number one goal was to never overlap with 99% Invisible. Like, that's mm-hmm. our number one tenant of the show uh-huh. is, is to not do that. But, you know, like the, the, the show that Ken and I are doing is in a crowded space yeah, of shows yeah. where people are kind of just reading Wikipedia pages. Uh-huh. But there are a lot of really good people, 99% Invisible being a great example. Uh, Atlas Obscura does a really good job. Um, How Stuff Works itself has three shows that are doing this same thing all the time. So I was like, Raj Nishpura, man, I know all kinds of shit about those guys. And then right away, like at least one of those, probably Atlas Obscura, somebody did like a big, long, like, remember when type of thing where I was like, oh, great. Well, 
thanks, you know, thanks a lot. And then I saw the previews for this show and I was like, oh, well, I guess Rajneesh is just, it's just, uh, on the tip of everybody's tongue. I guess we all know all about it. So I, I like kind of like disappointedly scratched it off my list of topics, even though I've got a lot more, more to say about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, say it, say it, say it here because I didn't know about this thing. And, and mm-hmm. uh, like, I've, I always thought of myself as being, you know, relatively familiar with most of the cults that have happened. And it turns out that, uh, I'm, I'm wrong and I'm so happy that I'm wrong because I get, mm. I'm getting to learn all about this really, really interesting situation and amazing, kind of hard to believe but like you know, just when you think their world has nothing new to show you, that you find out about Rajneeshpur. Yeah, I think I've talked about it before. But when I was a kid, Time Magazine had a Time Magazine was an important fixture in my week. Um, starting when I was still probably, I mean, I I guess I was looking at Time Magazine. Mm-hmm from before before I could really read or understand what was happening because time was also full of pictures. Like time was the weekly digest for those listening who have no idea what time magazine is. And I'm sure there are some, you know, it was a weekly news magazine, but everybody in the country agreed on what the news was. And so you could put out a magazine that had like basically a digest of what had happened in that week and it was, it was considered, you know, time was not thought of as liberal or conservative. It was just the news condensed into a, into a thing that you could read. It, it was, it was fairly dense. You couldn't just sit and read it in a dentist's office. Like it was a, you had to sit down and read it like the New York times kind of, right. It sure. was, you know, but both, but with like colorful pictures. And so as a kid, right, I followed a lot of the events of the 1970s through time. I remember <clears throat> that was where I originally saw um, like the the Munich Olympics mm-hmm. disaster. I watched the, um, you know, I watched like the, the 1972, like the Six Day War, I guess. Um, a lot of the, stuff I know about, I guess the world. I mean, I watched the Nixon administration fall apart in the pages of time magazine, not even really knowing what I was watching. I watched the last days of Vietnam and it was all, it was all, I mean, and we were watching that stuff on the news too, but like you could sit with time. Like I could take time magazine into my room and sit and study it. Right. And so it was a, it was, um, you know, it was the thing that I just, it, it felt like a, like something really solid in the world. It was my Walter Cronkite. It was like, if it was in time, I felt like you could, it was, it was true. If you saw it in time magazine, like this right, was right, right. That not only was it true, but it was important enough to get into time. And I think, um, I saw, you know, I saw Alice Cooper for the first time in Time Magazine where it was, you know, it was some article <laughs> really? was like, look at what's going on with the kids today. And I was like, oh my God, that person is really scary. And I, and there, you know, there were all these articles like at the Who concert last week, uh, you know, a bunch of kids got trampled or, um, it was, you know, it was how I found out about John Lennon getting shot. It was all, it was all in time. Mm-hmm. So by the by the time that uh, the 80s rolled around and I was in high school, like time would arrive and I would just read it. I would just from cover to cover just read it. Uh, and it wasn't a thing. I wasn't looking forward to it. it, it well, it's not like, oh, the new time is here. You know, it just, <laughs> it just felt like part of your responsibility as a, as like, and I, it wasn't even a thing like I'm an adult. I read time. Yeah. It was just the stuff comes in the mail and you at your earliest convenience, sit down and you digest it because it's part of your responsibility. And so all that stuff 
um, like the Rajneesh thing, that's exactly the type of thing that Time Magazine got a huge boner over. Oh, right. I'm sure. And they're just like, what? Every week, you know, what's going on out there? And at first it was because everybody wants to give a thing like that the benefit of the doubt. Like, oh, maybe this guy, you know, maybe this Swami does have something to say. Like, look at all the people that are pouring into his utopian, uh, you know, this like world where there is no want and everyone just dances and have sex with each other. Like what, what's <laughs> that's very intriguing, even to middle America. That was to me. And then the inevitable story of how it's all rotten from the inside. And as soon as he started rolling around in those, in those Rolls Royces, you could definitely, it, it was not hard from the outside at least to be like, Hmm, really? I don't know. Something's fishy. Now, why did he need sound- so many? He had like, 17 or something like that it was yeah and and it's such a bad optic where you're like it's a we're we're creating a society where there are no boundaries but except for the one boundary where i or every day i drive through the town in my rolls royce and everyone comes out and like and worships me as i drive by that's that that that's not very american you know what i mean yes. like there's something very not american about that but when the Jonestown thing happened and that showed up in Time Magazine, you know, it, it rightfully shocked the world, but it really shocked, I think it really shocked me because I was just at that, just at the age where, where, I mean, I think we all wrestle with what happened there, but, you know, I was a teenager in the, in my very early teens where the whole idea of like suicide, let alone mass suicide, let alone forced suicide. Is that even a thing? And what, and how would you get to that? How would you get to that place in your life where, where you were that enthrall to someone that someone else would be making decisions and you would be so, you know, captured and, and, and parents like giving their kids poison Kool-Aid, like all of that just got inside my head and, and just was in there like a fucking cat for a long time trying to make sense of, of that because it seemed like it did not seem like an isolated tragedy. It seemed like a window into, into the human experience that was very uncomfortable to look at. And, and I was confused as to why I was confused because the adults did not seem to spend time thinking and asking about what seemed important about that, which is, which is not, you know, cause what we usually do is we go, oh, how could people do that? And then we just like skip on. And you go, how could people do that? The question is like, how far are you from, you know, like how, what would it take to get you to do that is the, is a better question mm-hmm. because you, you can't just write all those people off. You can't write everybody off that was, that went to Rajneesh Purim because there are thousands of people. Yeah, there. there were a lot of people and you know, smart people, uh, successful people. And it's, you know, it gets back to the fucking Holocaust, basically, like everything where you, where, I mean, I came back from, from my walk across Europe and I went to my advisor at the university of Washington and I had this long book that I'd been writing and, and, a and a major thread through the book was because I spent a lot of time in Germany and in Eastern Europe and a big part of the thread was like, look, all of Nazism and World War II, for the most part, has been completely erased from the European um, like geography. You don't see it. Right. You don't see any swastikas anywhere, even if you're looking for them. Like even on little culverts that are running through the forest, like somebody came out there one day with a chisel and chipped off the swastika that was on it. 
And all the towns that were burned and blown up are all rebuilt. And, and when I went on that walk, it was after the Berlin Wall had been down, or the, the, the uh, Iron Curtain had been down at that point for 10 years. And that had been erased. The wall was completely erased, except in places where they couldn't get to it. You know, there were a couple of spots along the way where it was just like, well, to take out, I mean, the wall came down, but like the roads and the, and the guard towers and stuff, it was like, oh, well, we'll just leave that there. It's too hard to get to it. (laughs) But most of the, most of it, you could tell where the wall had been because on, because you'd be walking through the forest and you're walking through a forest where the trees are all 50 years old. And then all of a sudden you come to a line in the forest where the trees are all 10 years old. And now you're walking through a forest and it's a bunch of 10 year old trees. And you're like, what happened? Right. That's not, that's not usually how they do logging. And it's like, Oh shit, that's there. It was, that was it. I just crossed over the wall and these trees are 10 years old. Cause before this was no man's land. But, it, but a big part of the of, of my, this thesis that I was writing the whole time was, you know, the the um, the Third Reich is gone, utterly gone. And not just gone from the landscape, but like Germany is a modern, progressive, socialist democracy. Like it's not just that national socialism is gone, it's eradicated. The Germans are as liberal as anyone in the world Mm. and as devoted to the principles of democratic government as anyone in the world. And at that point it was, it had only been 60 years, not even 55 years since the end of the war. And so I was ruminating the entire time. Like, well, what was that made of then? Like you can't just, you can't just call it collective insanity. Like six million Jews, but 15 million people killed just in the camps. Mm. And then what another, you know, leaving aside the 40 million killed by Stalin, um, you know, just like what, what, how, so the question isn't like, whoo, thank God we never have to do that again. Right. The question for me is always like, how thin is the, is the curtain between us and that? It just feels like if you could go from that to this, it can't really be that impossible to go back from this to that. Uh, I just don't, I do not have very much faith that you can establish something in 50 years that from then on is inviolate, you know? Mm. And my advisor at the university and, and the reception kind of from the, from the people that were reading my book then, if what, if, wait, whatever happened in this book? Oh, well, it's sitting right here on my computer. Anytime you want to read it, Dan, I would like to read that. We would like to thank Audible, the leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the internet. You get their content, you're going to get an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, you name it. They are there. And the way it works is uh, you get a membership. And this way you can listen to books seamlessly between devices, picking up exactly where you left off. So check this out. You've got your phone and you're driving in your car on your commute home and you're listening to the audiobook that you got there, right? And then you want to go and you, you go inside, you pick up your tablet, right? You continue it on your tablet. Hey, you can even read on your tablet and it'll, it'll keep track of that and advance the audio. So if you're reading the book, like on a Kindle, then it'll automatically advance the audio to match up with where you stop reading in the book and vice versa. And Amazon Echo supports it too. So you can just tell your Echo to, to play. It's genius. I don't know how they do this, but it's there. They got, of course, they got free apps for every single device in the whole world, even, even our old friend of Windows phone. But they got it for iPhone, iPad, Android. It's great. It's a genius service. 
So, you know, they, they want me to come up with some suggestions for you guys as far as what to read. The one I've been listening to is called Mindfulness in Plain English by uh, Bonte G. Now, he doesn't do the reading, but the author, the, I mean, the, the, the voice that they have reading this one is totally awesome. Now, you know I'm into mindfulness. I'm into the Buddhist thing. Uh, but this book is great for just like advice on just living your life. It's a great book. And listening to it, uh, it's read so well. So I highly recommend this one. Go check this one out. Link will be in the show notes. And, uh, and here's the deal. Our listeners get a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. You get that book, even if you don't stick around. I think you will stick around because it's a great service. Go to audible.com slash roadwork. Audible.com slash roadwork. You'll get the 30-day trial membership. You'll get the free book. And if you're into texting stuff, you can apparently, you can text the word roadwork, one word, to 500-500. And it, it gives you that that way. I don't know. Are people texting stuff? If you want to do it that way, do it. Or go to audible.com slash roadwork and uh, go get yourself a book. Thanks very much, Audible, for making this show possible. Is it like a manifesto? Is it kind well, of? Is it like no, a... <clears throat> so I, I have actually have an agent in New York. I, 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 we only really formalized our relationship uh, pretty recently. We'd been talking for a long time. He's a wonderful guy who has been trying to get me to put my uh, you know, written work into a publishable, published form. He's extremely encouraging. He feels like it is ready to be published or close to it. But, you know, I'm, I'm the guy that hasn't even opened his diploma. Like I'm, I am dubious. I'm extremely doubtful that the work is actually ready to be read by anybody. And I have, it's not just insanity. I, I have a pretty good, I mean, I think that I, I can tell good from bad. Um, but it's like, several hundred pages of me alone. First of all, the problem is that the book has a protagonist. Right. And then no other, I mean, barely even, I mean, it's hard to have supporting characters. So this is a a work of fiction. No, 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 no. It's me walking from Amsterdam to Istanbul. Oh, it's, it's a record of your. Yeah. And taught and, and thinking about, thinking and talking aloud about uh, everything sort of just like, just like this show, just like uh, the show with Merlin. I'm just thinking about everything and talking about everything, but I only am, I only have myself to bounce it off of. Right. So I go, I go slowly crazy um, because it's just, these thoughts are just rattling around in my head and, and all I have is this, uh, this, parliament of assholes who are up there, you know, like throwing hot coffee on one another. And I'm also walking between 30 and 50 kilometers a day in, in places where, I mean, I have no idea where I'm going. I'm just heading, I'm just heading Southeast. I have a compass and I'm, I look at it and I, and I, it points Southeast and I go. So every day I would, you know, I'd come to something where I would say, hey, this isn't on the map. Or I would say, oh, so that's what this is on the map. Um, and then I have to get around it or over it. So I, it, was an important, it was an important thing for me to do. And, and the book, I call it the book, but it, I mean, the, I was documenting it the whole time because that's what I do. Right. But this question and it was one of a, a thousand questions because, you know, you, you go out there, you're standing in some spot in the woods and it's like, well, you know, not only was this a border in World War II and not only was this a border in um, during the Cold War, like a border that I would recognize from Time magazine, but this was also a border of the Roman Empire. And this was a border, this was the furthest Western extent of the Huns. Right. And, you know, <laughs> and this was where, this was where Suleiman came, you know, this was as his, the, 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 where the armies were all drowned in the, 
in the Danube and, and you know, and you're just standing at this place and, and right now it's nothing because right now, whatever this border, which has been a border for thousands of years, this stone in the ground that used to represent something that people fought and died for like countless, countless hundreds of times, this, the, the ground here is soaked in blood and everywhere around it is. And now it's just a, it's just a border between two nations of the European Union who share a currency and you just get sort of one passport with a big circle of stars on it and la-di-da. And, the, and you, you know, I, there were several times where I'm standing at some road that isn't used anymore and there's an actual candy-striped barber pole hmm. out in the forest – where it's like here, here we are at the border, and you know, and I'm I'm the only guy that's been there in a week and a half, and I'm like, all right, well, you know, I feel like I, it's like some scene from Spies Like Us, except post-apocalypse. But the apocalypse <laughs> was a the apocalypse was a peace apocalypse, which is not a thing there's there was that much precedent for in history. <clears throat> but I got. So much pushback from the academic cadres of the year 2000 Mm -hmm. about the idea that national socialism, that, um, you know, that, that, that there was any prospect of ever revisiting a European genocide that America would ever be, uh, at, at, you know that 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 the that the edifice of liberal democracy was anything other than eternal. Now, like it was the new. Like this is what everyone will eventually be moving toward. Or everyone to. already is moving toward it, and, and but, will but, achieve it soon. Yeah, and most importantly, once you get a toehold, you will never backslide, because it was inconceivable to us. How could you ever? I mean. You could be mad that George Herbert or George George Walker Bush stole the election from, you know, from Al Gore. You could be mad, but the institutions of democratic society prevailed, right? And it was it was, you know, it was during that period where you started to feel a little bit, um, you know, a little shaky. Where it's like, wait a minute, a lot of this feels like. It feels like it should be extra legal. Um, th- this this war, this war in Iraq, just doesn't feel like it went through enough uh, of an approval process. But then you watch it, and it's like, no, we we did. We went all the way to the United Nations. Like it it followed the law, but it still feels wrong. It still feels like we it still feels like kind of obviously wrong. But no one in the world would have ever predicted. No one would have would have allowed then. I mean, I was kind of shouted down as I as I thought not shouted down. I mean, obviously it was a it was a uh, it was a very supportive environment at the mm-hmm. University of Washington. I'm sure, but but I was speculating in this in this walk, this kind of thing, this Jonestown question of like how far. I mean how. How deep is your confidence that you're not susceptible to being um, swept up in an idea, swept up in the idea that all we need to do is X and then that will solve for Y. I feel threatened and out of work. I feel I feel disrespected and down. I feel underrepresented or unloved. And if I just do this, you know, if I, if I just hold on to my guns or if I just follow this guy to the, to Suriname, or if we just support this candidate who promises he's going to make everything better. I mean, it's how deep is, is any one person's confidence that they can resist the temptation of feeling like the solution is simple. And I, I just don't think that 
I don't have a tremendous confidence in any human being that there isn't always a part of all of us, no matter how smart, no matter how aware that isn't, that doesn't secretly believe that if everybody just did this, then we would be, if everybody just followed these few simple precepts, then all these problems that plague us would melt away. And it's just that everybody in the world has, has very different five simple precepts. And sure, it's absolutely true. I think if everybody in the world followed the same five simple precepts. Right. Every, but you'd have to get, you know, agreement from everyone. Sure. You're never going to get that. Everybody, you know, there's always going to be like, I'd like to just have an amendment to the fifth precept here. It's like, well, there you go. I mean, we're off to the races, right? Um, but it, but that's that's certainly the opposite of the idea of liberal democracy. Um, I, it's just that I I feel like there's a there is a um, there's a a tiny little fascist waiting in all of us. <laughs> oh my god! You know, a, <laughs> a little baby fascist that just thinks if I was in charge, it, or or the people that don't want the responsibility of themselves being in charge who say, if everybody would just listen to person X, if everybody would just listen to Rajneesh, well, the world would fucking make sense. If everybody would just right, follow sure. Jim Jones or Hitler or, or, you know, and there are so many of them that present themselves as benign. Like, I'm sure if we all followed the precepts of Martha Stewart, we would be living in a in a very genteel world. <laughs> yeah. Well, and really pretty much any almost any one person's precepts would be acceptable if everyone followed them. Right. Right. If everybody was just punk as fuck, we'd all be punk as fuck. We'd right. be living in the United States of punk as fuck. Yeah. So so now, you know, we're living in a in a world where the temperature of that question has changed a lot because all of a sudden you do see how you could go from a state where in a pretty short amount of time I've gone from a world where if you read time magazine every week, you had a shared body of information with almost everyone else who read in the United States, you know, and that's not everybody, right? 50% of the people in the U S don't read. Um, but if you did read, you would be, or maybe it's more than that, but if you did read, everybody read time magazine, or at least if they didn't read time, they read the times. And we, so we've gone from that and that obviously has problems, you know, it's, it is a form of, um, there are a lot of critiques that are valid that that is a that's effectively a form of information control and and the hyperventilating class would call it information fascism but but there was a shared kind of description of what constituted a liberal democracy to a you know to a state now just a few decades later where it doesn't even feel like there's a shared definition of what charity is or a shared definition of what hospitality is, let alone the shared goals of Western civ. And I don't think anybody 60 years ago could have predicted that we would be looking at Germany and saying, wow, now there's a there's a good liberal democracy. Boy, I sure envy. Right, right. I sure envy their strange system. Finally, we would like to say thank you to Simple Contacts. It's a convenient way to renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contacts from anywhere in minutes. It is Vision Care simplified. And here's the deal. 
you need to renew your prescription. That's the case of a lot of us. We, we don't have a, an up-to-date prescription. That's fine. Here's what they have. A five-minute vision test. You can take it on your phone or your computer. This is then reviewed by a licensed doctor. You then receive a renewed one-year prescription and you reorder your contacts. No big deal. Oh, wait, you've been to the eye doctor recently, but you're just out of contacts, unexpired prescription around, no big deal. Then you just upload a photo or your doctor's info and you can order the lenses that way. Super convenient. Now, I will point out, and they, they tell me I have to point out, this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. This is just dealing with the prescription thing. But a lot of the time, that's just what you need. Uh, super convenient, super fast. The vision test takes less than five minutes. Imagine the difference of doing that versus going to the eye doctor, taking time off work, etc. You're in and out, less than five minutes to take this test and get an updated prescription. And it's uh, reliable. It's designed by doctors and licensed ophthalmologists. They review every single test, make sure your eyes look healthy and your vision hasn't changed. The vision test is only 20 bucks. Again, compare that to the cost of an annual appointment. It could cost you over 200 bucks. And the contact lens prices, again, this is your brand of contact lens, not some generic brand, not the brand they force on you, the ones you're already getting. They've got them there. And you're going to get $30 off the contacts by going to simplecontacts.com slash roadwork. And you'll enter the code roadwork at checkout. Again, simplecontacts.com slash roadwork, or just enter the code roadwork at checkout and you'll get what? 30 bucks off. Nice. So go check it out. Thanks very much to Simple Contacts for making this show possible. But all, all of these things, you know, it's you, you watch the Rajneesh thing and, and you think like, it just seems so exotic and so impossible. Right. But it was in my lifetime. I could have been, instead of driving across America, I could have run away from home a year earlier and been down there as, a, as an emancipated adult. Like in my red robe, like I don't know. You, know. I, you don't seem like much of a follower of anything, though, or any anyone. Well, except uh, the 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 times in my life when I have felt the most vulnerable to this kind of thing. I mean, certainly anybody who's followed uh, me over the last several years knows that one of the running gags is that that I'm always positing myself as one of these demagogues like just follow me i don't really do that i don't want any followers because i don't like people around but you know what i mean like i i also pretend to have all the answers and that's kind of a it's one of those things that's funny because it's true (coughs) but i'm most vulnerable to this type of thing in this in the context of a relationship a romantic relationship Mm. Because you get in to that kind of closeness with somebody and and then you have a you have a shared reality with somebody. And it's not just your reality that's bumbling through life and kind of intersecting with other people's realities briefly. It's a shared common reality that you have to build with someone else that incorporates with theirs and and you have to modify yours. And depending on who you're trying to do that with, I think ideally the dream is you, you build a shared reality with somebody either where you're, the two realities coming in are close enough that it isn't hard to, to say like, I like cats. I like cats too. Wow. <laughs> cats are great then. Right. Like here's our shared reality. We have a, we have a lot of, commonality and it isn't hard then to or at least i guess it's always hard but but you've got building blocks that when you get into the when you get into the metaphysical and you're like i feel sometimes late at night like there's a hole in me that is bottomless and the other person says i can't feel that but i will pet your hair and say shush and tell you it's going to be okay and the first person goes, that'll do. You've built something that is like shared, that is uncommon. Right. Um, 
But if you're trying to build a shared reality with somebody where their reality and yours are pretty distant from one another going in, and yet here you are trying to occupy a, a, a common land where, where both sets of laws and mores apply, it can be very destabilizing. And <clears throat> at least in my case – in my life, the times I have felt most, um, uh, uh, the times I have felt closest to or most empathy for someone who got swept up in a political ideology are those times when I've been emotionally involved with somebody, deeply connected to them, and they are telling me that something is true that I know isn't true. But my love and my desire and my desire to build a shared world causes me to start doubting whether or not, starting to doubt my own senses and my own ideas about what's, not just ideas, but my own like truth. Mm. Like, am I wrong? Am I crazy? Am I, maybe if I... You know, maybe if I believed that, then maybe my anxiety would go away or maybe, right? you know, like this person that I love is telling me that, that this thing that I'm pretty sure I know is false. And the fact that I think it's true, that's my problem. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's what's keeping me from being in the light. If I could just get over my idea of what is true and get into this new reality where I accept what they're saying is true, then my, then my problems will go away because it feels right now, at least like the only problem I have is the tension between these two realities. Now, of course that's not true. You had problems before you arrived, but like that's the, that's the kind of the crazy storm within a relationship that can happen that feels equivalent to getting swept up in a, in a movement where the movement is saying, do you feel anxious? And you're like, yes. Do you feel like you're getting a raw deal? Yes. Well, all the things that you used to think of were true are not. Guess what? Here's the truth. And you're like, whoa, shit. It's been UFOs all along. Or, <laughs> oh my God. Like the Jews. And it, it's so it's so easy to to think that if you just that, that whatever your whole constellation of discomfort could be relieved if you just had a if you just had this if this thought revolution allowed you to just plug in a different sort of you know a different brand of l dopa into your receptors and all of a sudden you're just like problem solved so politically, I don't, I'm not susceptible to that, but, but I do feel it in those, um, in those few moments in my life. And there haven't been many when I have been, when I've been close to building, a like a shared edifice with another person within a romantic context. Mm -hmm. And, and those, you know, a couple of times I felt like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm in a Jim Jones situation here. All of a sudden I'm really not, I really cannot surrender control over reality. Not, not only not to another person, but not to like some shared corporation. Like I've got, I feel pretty good on reality. Like I feel pretty solid on it and I have enough checks and balances internally that I can subject information to at least something of a sidelight. Like, is this true? Let's turn on that sidelight and look at it. it still seems true. <laughs> and if someone's standing over there like, Nope, not true, not true because that conflicts with my thing over here. I mean, I'll go with that for a while, but if this thing over here still seems true, like whether or not it conflicts with that thing, it doesn't, it, it, 
feels like less, less my problem. Um, you got to decide whether that thing is true over there for your own self. That's kind of not my business. <laughs> um, <coughs> but that's a, you know, it's another example of like why it is I don't, why, why it is I'm not right now in the 25th year of a loving marriage. Right. Um, and I don't mean to, I don't mean to equate romantic relationships with Jonestown, but just that, that those are the few, the few times in my life where I've felt that, that feeling of both the seductive feeling of, of surrendering the keys and also the, you know, like the terror of being that, um, unmoored from, from my temple, 